I'm Christina DiGiovanni. She's a media mogul from New York City and an entrepreneur. Christina D. Giovanni wants to tell the stories of the cannabis industry through their own words and also with her company, the Emerald Media Group. No wonder I took an immediate liking to her, and that's why she's on In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, the podcast that's supported by Revolutionary Clinics in Somerville and now with two locations in Cambridge. That's where the patient comes first. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of In the Weeds on the Road at the NCIA Northeast Cannabis Business Conference in Boston, Massachusetts at the Heinz Auditorium. I'm Jimmy Young, the host of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young, and I'm joined by Christina Giovanni, which is one of the great names in cannabis. She's the editor of Emerald Magazine. Christina, always a pleasure to hang out with you. Always a pleasure to hang out with you, my friend. <laughs> Tell us about Emerald Magazine. What's your vision for the magazine? Why did you start it? Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I started it because of a cannabis-related arrest that I had experienced. I felt my uh, rights were violated during that process, and it was important for me to create a platform for the little man to be heard, uh, to develop a microphone in this industry to prove that we're not degenerates, we're not criminals, we're actually contributing members of our community, and so that's how Emerald was born. Uh, we're from Humboldt County, which is in the Emerald Triangle in Northern California. I like to call it America's Cannabis Heartland. And, um, you know, we did a monthly print magazine for about seven years. And then uh, in the last year, we relocated our headquarters to Brooklyn. And so now we're expanding on the East Coast, but we are much more than just a print magazine. We are a full media group. We have daily digital content. We send out a newsletter three times a week. Uh, we do podcasts. We do videos, live interviews, um, and still a magazine, although we're quarterly now. And so, you know, we're really just working in this space to create a positive image and representation of cannabis. Pro-cannabis media. What an idea. I love that. Um, Christina, take me back. You obviously dropped in the fact that you had a bad experience with law enforcement. This was a traumatic story for you. I have heard this story. Would you take us through it? Humboldt County still produces 80% of the illicit cannabis market in the United States. That's a huge number coming from California pushing out their stuff all over the United States, and yet they too are in a legal state, an adult-use legal state, and I know what goes on in Humboldt is a lot of battles back and forth with law enforcement and government, and it's a constant... It's the, it's the constant survival in that area, yes? Well, you know, historically speaking, you know, these are third, fourth, fifth generation farmers up there. This is their livelihood. And we all know that going through the permitting and the regulation process is very expensive. And not a lot of people can just afford to pull out, you know, not everyone has deep pockets. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to look to partnerships and investments and, you know, given the the history and the culture of the Emerald Triangle, it was typically a, um, a highly sought after place for privacy. Um, a lot of people moved from San Francisco up north in the 60s and the 70s. There weren't a lot of roads out there. There wasn't a lot of law enforcement out there. And that's kind of how they liked it. And I mean, I enjoy my privacy as well. So, um, but getting back to your story, my story a little bit. So yes, you know, I went to Humboldt State University. I got my degree in journalism. And during my last semester of college in 2012, 
the individual who I had been dating and living with was caught on an Amtrak train with bulk currency. He was not arrested, um, but they did seize his property without a search warrant, and um, they called law enforcement in Humboldt County, and they said, go to this guy's house. He could be up to no good. They come to our house. Uh, I get this abrasive cop knock at about 9 in the morning. So I fly out of bed, and the entire Humboldt County Drug Task Force is on my lawn with bulletproof vests and their guns strapped across their chest. And... Uh, you know, they accused me of growing cannabis. They said that they could smell fresh growing cannabis. And based on that, they had a legal right to enter. So they entered. We were not growing any cannabis. Um, and so they proceeded to search my home without a warrant for about five hours. Uh, they detained me for about five hours. Um, and then they did get a warrant. And the last place they looked was our attic where uh, my partner had his life savings. And so they seized those funds. Uh, I was arrested and taken to the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department where I, I waited for about three hours to be bailed out. I was arrested for um, possession of marijuana with intent to distribute because we had a couple pounds of cannabis at our house. Uh, but under uh, California's medical laws, the amount that we had was perfectly legal and acceptable. Um, I also was raised in Texas, and so I do own firearms, and so I was arrested for possession of firearm and the commission of a felony. Uh, I went through court for nine months. I got all my firearms returned to me, um, and the last thing that they arrested me for, actually, I chuckled to this day. Um, I had a um, grocery bag, a paper grocery bag in a spare bedroom uh, full of trim, old trim. I should have thrown it away. I just forgot. And so I got harboring a room for drug manufacturing. So they really did try to slap on what they could uh, to make a valid case to totally seize the funds uh, that were in my attic. Um, I will say, in my personal opinion, law enforcement is also a business and that they have a quota to meet as well. And so, you know, when I got out of jail, I'll never forget this, but um, I came back from jail to my house completely raided, took lots of pictures, and uh, there was my bong in the center of my bedroom with one nug this big sticking out of the bowl that was bizarre. It was certainly not there before. And uh, they had thrown all of my clothes on my bed. And in a red thong, they had laced a $20 bill right in the center of my bed. So, you know, I mean, that's who you're dealing with up there, you know, for law enforcement, um, at least for the drug task force. And so all of that just kind of built. And I felt like my civil rights were violated. I felt like, you know, your civil rights are just an illusion to keep you docile. I mean, that's how I felt in that situation. And so I decided, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. And I'm going to create a media outlet that has a voice for the little man. Uh, because, you know, my mugshot was all over town. I was essentially guilty before I even had a chance to go to court. And so that really enraged me. You know, the media should be out there to you know, provide justice and clarity in certain situations. And I feel like some are quick to jump. And so that's why you know, it's important for me as a media outlet to try to hear both sides of the story, um, never rush to judgment, and to, like I said, you know, be a platform for people to be heard. You, you actually um, 
said a few things in that story. One is bulk currency. May I ask how much bulk currency? And by the way, you're you know, on a train with bulk currency. Yes. And this was enough to get suspicious, I just want to say. Well, law enforcement told me that anything over $500 is suspicious. So... <laughs> wait, a second, wait a second. Let's just let that sink in just for a second. Um, bulk currency, anything over $500... That's five $100 bills that fit in your wallet. Right. Well, they think that the average person doesn't walk around with $500. So. I don't. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I do. Sometimes I'm going to buy something, right. you know, and uh, or, you know, you're you're getting a cashier's check or something like that. You know, I mean, you never know. I mean, $500. Sure, it's a lot of money, but it's not a, a suspicious drug copious amounts of money so or you know i mean it's 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 not on that level that wouldn't be my first uh rush to judgment if right. i cross paths with someone with 500 dollars. right so you'd say let's go out to dinner and have a nice time <laughs> or something like that going? that's right what especially in new york city 500 dollars <laughs> yeah, is a right. good meal right a <laughs> exactly. couple bottles of wine you're done it's a meal for two. that's right um how important is it to you and you talked a little bit about the reasons why you wanted this uh to start your company uh and how important is it to you to continue to be the voice? You keep saying the little man, but honestly, it's the beginning of a trillion dollar industry. And the people in this industry who you've met, who I've met, I feel are getting vilified by traditional media. I think that the traditional media in newspapers, even television now with shrinking audiences, both on traditional live news, local news, and also in print newspapers, they are looking to continue to drive revenue, to drive audience, to get sensational headlines. Mm -hmm. And they're looking for this industry to fail, or more importantly, talk about the failures of a new industry. There's no other new industry that I know in history that has been held under the microscope as much as this one. Does this enrage you about it, about as much as it enrages me? I mean, we are under the microscope, and I think everyone is watching and looking to see what cannabis is going to do next. I remember when Colorado went recreational, we all kind of watched Colorado and then Washington to see how they did it, what worked, what didn't work, and uh, some people were were quick to, to judge them for certain decisions, and so I think that, you know, with any new emerging industry, there's going to be highs and lows, and um, you know, I mean, we are, we are scrutinized and, um, you know, sometimes some of the headlines that I do read, I think one of the things that we have to get over is all of the representation of cannabis from like the seventies onward. Uh, you know, the, the grungy stoner, the hash and the, excuse my language, but the tits and ass. And, you know, it's just not like that anymore. Uh, it's not like that on the inside. And so, you know, Emerald, we try to portray cannabis, the industry in a positive light and be the voice of the big sister in the industry. You know, we're experts in the space. We go to the events, we, we test the products. Uh, you know, we're really trying to show the great things that this industry has, you know, and, and, and that it is no longer the devil's lettuce. Um, and, and so I think that we still have a journey to go. We're not quite there yet, but I think that every conference, um, you know, every year that passes, we get better and better and better. You know, uh, first of all, I want to make sure everybody understands. I understand the media fairly well since I've been around it now for 40 years. And the writers, the journalists who tell the stories, supposedly using all facts, both sides of an issue, okay, do not write the headlines, okay, and that is one of the biggest problems I have, not just with 
traditional newspapers, but with also television news especially, because they have to get your attention. They have to tease you going in so you stay tuned. Well, have you heard the expression, if it bleeds, it reads? No, it bleeds, it leads. Oh, well, okay, it leads, <laughs> it reads, you know, it, they want those clicks, they want, um, you know, everyone, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a battle in the internet world, you know, it's to get the majority of the clicks to optimize your headlines, you know, for search engines, and so it, Yes, I mean it's there. It's there, <laughs> and it's part. It's part of our industry. We have to generate information and share it with the public in order to um, monetize our audience. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's by the way that was on my quiz last week. Oh well, did they pass? Did you pass? I passed because I gave the quiz. But yes, basically, uh, they did. My class at Emerson does a great job. They really do understand what's going on in the media this in these days. Because after all, they have a great teacher. I was going to say they have a guy who likes to talk, and they can't move for an hour and a half. I know I have them in in my right. class. Um, something happened yesterday here about the media that I'd like to talk with you about because you know you. You're, I, you both not, you've read the, the report that was in the Globe yesterday. The Boston Globe had, has three beat writers that follow cannabis. Uh, Dan Adams, Naomi Martin, and Felicia Gans. And I read them just about every day, similarly to how I read the Globe sports page. I won't tell you which one I read first, okay? Because after all, I was a sportscaster for a long time. I still love sports. But they, those Globe writers were part of a panel um, that was supposed to talk about the illicit market. And there were other people that were on that panel, including Dan Adams, the, who I consider to be a columnist for the Boston Globe. And when um, Andrew Klein, who was one of the executives at the NCIA, he wanted to close that so that the people on the panel would feel more comfortable talking off the record. Now, when someone says something to you off the record or on the record, um, Seems scandalous. Well, if it's off the well, I don't know. Um, you know, to to ask those uh, journalists to leave almost seems like something scandalous is up. Uh, You're trying to hide something. Yes, you know. I mean, why 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 can't the press be in there? Um, you know, I I hate to bring up Trump, but I mean, hasn't he done this before? Ask the press to leave, and you know, it's just like why why do we need to leave? Why can't we cover this? It's actually a great analogy of the. Um, disconnect now between traditional media and politics mm -hmm. and don't forget the NCIA a lobbyist group is based in Washington DC I don't think there is a lot of trust now right. between the industry and media and here the two of us are trying to give a voice to the industry so that they feel comfortable talking about what they're doing now I think one of the interesting things that's developed in this is the illicit market has actually thrived in the beginning of this industry. They, most of the people who are advocating for legalization of cannabis in this country want it regulated so that those who are using it and enjoying it responsibly, which is what I preach about all the time, will know where it's coming from, what it's supposed to do with you, what strain, how it's supposed to work. and. I applaud that, and especially when you are an investor and you've put millions and millions of dollars into this new industry, you'd like to have it be treated with a little bit more respect than it has. Right. You, I, I'm asking you, I guess, when if you heard of something that you found to be newsworthy, 
Obviously, you'd print that, wouldn't you? I would cover it um, if I felt like it was relevant to a lot of readers that would, you know, find it interesting, but also can educate the masses. Um, you know, we do get a lot of stories that come through our desk, and you know, not everything, not everything, is necessarily newsworthy. I mean, we ask ourselves, how many people does this apply to? You know, is this relevant to more than? everyone in the room. Um, and so that's kind of how we source and decide, you know, what it is that we're going to cover is we want to make sure that it's t relevant to men and women of all ages, not just, you know, the 18 year old or, or um, you know, just the people in the room. Like that's I right. say. And the 18 year olders that aren't 21 right. that aren't supposed to have access to this product naughty, for the most part. Naughty. They have never. <laughs> and, you know, and therein lies another issue that they were talking about, you know, even at this panel I was in um, on, um, not in, I listened to in the auditorium a few minutes ago is talking about we've got to protect the kids. Now, look. The children. <laughs> yeah. I was a child once. In fact, a lot of people still think I have never grown up, okay? <laughs> and I test out on Lady Jane branding as the eternal child. What are you going to do, okay? <laughs> I tried to be a contributing member of society. I supported my son until he was 27 years old and ready to go off into the real world. As an electrician, I'm proud of what he's accomplished. I've held a job for a long time. I had a decent career. And now all I'm doing is trying to do the right thing in an industry during a historic time. I feel like I am part of history. I feel like I am documenting this industry. You're helping us pioneer it. You're helping us set the set a tone and a standard for the industry. You know, by bringing credible news and credible interviews, um, you are helping us work towards the light. Yeah, well, the new normal. We're all part of this new normal, and who knows what's going to happen in the next 20 years uh, or even the next two years because, or even the next 10 months before November 2020. Who knows what's going to happen by the end of this year? Anything could happen. I mean, coming from California, all the, like being in the media, we've got this bird's eye view of the industry, you know, what's going on in this state and what's going on in this state. And in California, I could say, you know, my peers out there that have products on the market, they're struggling with, with package compliance. You know, I feel like every other month or, you know, every every so often the state says, well, you need this on your package. You know, you need this on your package. There are times when I've been in a, in a facility in Oakland sitting there for an afternoon putting stickers on a package to help a friend's business out uh, because there was a new regulation that came in and they had already printed all their packaging and they can't afford to just do another packaging run. So I think it's really important to make sure that, you know, the media shines light on all different aspects of the industry. This is my my biggest beef with the media okay my beef is if you're going to do a sensational story about a very little detail that may have happened or not happened let's just say I'm not saying that they create news but there's certainly a tendency these days to perhaps not do as much research on the story as I think you should as a responsible journalist to tell both sides to me if you are going to do a story that is embarrassing to either a dispensary or to a part of the industry Balance it out with a story about a veteran who has served our country, who suffers from PTSD and has to get off his opioid habit and use cannabis to do that. There's so many of those stories out there just with veterans, let alone those who have actually had their lives saved with this cannabis plant. Right. Uh, you know, we have interviewed Rick Simpson before and um, he's got a good oil I mean for those of for those that don't know you know Rick Simpson he's a Canadian he had skin cancer years ago and he had essentially in a nutshell boiled down his cannabis into this thick black 
tar-like substance. And now, you know, it's a household name. Uh, people that have uh, cancer or they have MS or um, um, colitis or anything like that, you know, they, they say take a 90-day treatment. And so, you know, it's important to shed light on kind of what you're saying, like the, the positive and the way that, that um, things in the industry have helped people like veterans and, and stuff like right. that. And you, and you said, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. We understand the, the, that. But again, the, a balanced story, a good story, mm -hmm. a story that sheds positive light on this plant, this amazing natural plant that has been part of our world for thousands of years, which by the way, is older than a lot of the media entities that are out there. Mm -hmm. You know, let's face it, right? Uh, the newspaper industry was pivotal yeah. in paying the government to pr put this propaganda campaign out in the 1930s to stigmatize this. And hemp and cannabis have lost its history. You know, where ha where was it the last hundred years? Or where was it before then? We don't know. You know, I mean, we, we, we know a little bit, but we also know that it's almost been erased deliberately, you know. So tell us where we can find Emerald Media on the internet. I'm going out on a limb. I know you're a digital media person. You're starting to create content and you're sharing it out there. Where can we find the Emerald stuff? Okay, well, you can find our print magazine throughout Northern California and select locations in New York and on the East Coast. May I ask uh, how, much, how many issues you, you distribute? So on average, it, during different times in the industry, our highest, the highest run we ever did once was 40,000. We averaged about 20,000. Uh, we stopped doing monthly last year. Uh, we've been doing it for seven years, and so now we're doing quarterly. And our, our by the way, that's an industry trend. I've been a, I've been a subscriber to Sports Illustrated magazine since I was old enough to read, uh -huh. and they are now in the bi-weekly. So they've gone from um, 52 weeks of editions down to 26. And that Sports Illustrated, I think, is owned by Time Warner. Well, I mean, you you have to adjust with your industry. I mean, uh, in 2017, before. Um, California went recreational, you know, anybody could advertise. Uh, it was kind of the Wild West. And then uh, after recreational came through the state, you know, we could only work with compliant companies that had their license. So, you know, you have to fluctuate with the industry. Now what we're doing is branching into the digital space. Um, you know, being in Humboldt County for so long, print media really worked very well for us up there because when you're out cultivating your cannabis on the hill, your internet reception is not that great. So you want something to read. Um, you want that, that physical print magazine out on the hill. And so that was our bread and butter for many years. Um, and then in recent years, you know, we've, we've expanded out of the Emerald Triangle. Um, we are now based in Brooklyn. And so we do, um, as of 2019, we really started to branch out into the digital space. So we do podcasts, we do daily digital content, newsletters, um, videos. People can find us on all the social platforms, you know, the WeedTube, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, we're also at theemeraldmagazine.com. That's what I'm looking for. And so people can find us on our website and uh, through partners such as yourself. I was just about to say that. Uh, Christine and I, we are going to share content. Yes. So it's about sharing, it's about subscribing, and it's about liking. And it's about, you know, being more impactful in numbers. You know, the, the more that we team up and partner together, the stronger that we are, the bigger impact that we make. We have a sister publication, Edibles Magazine, based out of Los Angeles. You 
you know, they've got distribution in Hawaii and Oklahoma. Uh, you know, we work together because we realize, well, A, we're two female publishers in, in the industry, and B, you know, we're stronger together. And so, you know, now, now we're going to be even stronger. Even stronger. That's what it's about. She is Christina D. Giovanni and the editor of Emerald Media group as opposed to pro me pro cannabis media group so for Christina our photographer Dan French on the other side of all our cameras here I'm your host Jimmy Young of in the weeds with Jimmy Young remember it's a whole new world of weed out there use it responsibly we are pro cannabis media